Well, this might be the second day of the work week, but this is the number one show across the Southland. Hello, I am John Rawl, the general of all things Southern, and what you're listening to here is what we call the Y'all Show. Talk about what's going on in the 16 Southern states and how the South is numero uno in terms of what's going on news-wise. We truly are today as the whole world is watching what's going on in Atlanta, Georgia, and what happened overnight there with President Trump being indicted again for a fourth time. We've got a full, full report on that coming up in just a moment. Of course, the South is also the epicenter of the sports world, and we'll tell you all of the sports going on today, including the loss of a former Razorback as one of the great players in Arkansas's backfield over the last 10, 15 years or so. Sad news out of the state of Florida. Alex Collins, who also played in the NFL for the Ravens and Seahawks and most recently for the Memphis Showboats of the USFL. Alex Collins dies at age 28 in a motorcycle crash in Lauderdale Lakes, Florida. We'll give you the update of that in our sports goings on today. So we got news and sports to get to. And, of course, we have plenty of other fun stuff like in our second hour today of the Y'all Show, we're going to tell you all about books. And within that, we've got packaged a feature on Ann Patchett. Ann Patchett has recently had her book that is titled Tom Lake, a novel, be listed as one of Amazon's best books of August. And we've got an interview with author Ann Patchett, who lives in Nashville, and we'll have a little clip of her interview that she recently done, recently did at Barnes and Noble's YouTube page, as they did a, I guess it would be a podcast on the Barnes and Noble video page. We've got that coming up in our second hour of today's y'all show. Plus, we've got also packaged in that hour entertainment news, and how about the success of the movie Barbie? Barbie is on track to be the number one movie of the entire 2023 movie season. So we'll tell you all about that. And we'll also give you some news from the Nashville scene. Megan Maroney making some headlines. The lady that has that Tennessee Orange song. She's in the news. We'll let you know how and what and who. All of that in our country music and entertainment news that will be coming your way in the second hour of today's Y'all Show. Our final hour today, our Takapola storyteller, Jerry Short, is going to be coming by. And y'all better be ready. Y'all better get your dukes up because Jerry's going to come by and talk about fighting. Fighting with his fist. Yeah, I don't know why or what, uh, what, what, what's on his mind, but yeah, that's what he told me we're going to talk about today. So get ready for a fight when the Takapola kid, Jerry Short, drops by in our final hour. Plus, we have a spotlight in our final hour today of Mississippi State football as Starkville, USA, a.k.a. Stark Vegas, is our latest stop on our journey across the South, getting you ready for the start of college football. And MSU, Hell State, is going to be our featured college today. We'll walk through the schedule, and we'll also hear from the first-year head coach in Starkville, Zach Arnett. We'll hear him talk about his team and much more as we spotlight Mississippi State University and give you also some of the traditions that you'll find when you're in Davis-Wade Stadium from the junction to the Cowbells and their hatred of that team in Oxford. We'll tell you all about MSU, the mighty Bulldogs of Mississippi State University, in our final hour today right here on the Y'all Show. If you'd like to get involved 
with this little program. A couple of ways you can do that. We've got an email address, and that is M-A-I-L, mail, at Y-A-L-L.com, mail at y'all.com. That's an easy way for you to reach out to us any time of day. We'd love to hear from you. And then we also have our 24-hour day text line that you can catch us on, and it will come straight to us. And the way to reach us on that text line is 615-208-4184. 615-208-4184. Would love to hear from you, folks. Hope you all are having a very, very pleasant Tuesday thus far. We've got a lot of political stuff here to get to in our first hour. In fact, I meant, forgot to mention, we've got a spotlight just on politics before we wrap up this first hour of the All Show. But let's dive into the big news overnight We've been watching the streets of Atlanta for the last couple of days, and sure enough, another indictment has come down on Donald J. Trump. And that is the story overnight, as in Atlanta, the president has had his fourth indictment leveled against him, as the DA there in Fulton County, Georgia, Fonnie Willis, gave the president and 18 other individuals named in Monday's grand jury indictment She's given them until August 25th to surrender. And then, just before, it might have been midnight, just before that, on Monday, Willis spoke at a press conference as she handed the charges against the former president and others to this legal process. The DA gave Trump and these individuals up until that August 25th deadline to surrender. And Willis would like the trial to take place within six months, according to what she said Monday evening. The indictment states, Defendant Donald John Trump lost the United States presidential election held on November 3, 2020. One of the states he lost was Georgia. Trump and the other defendants charged in this indictment refused to accept that Trump lost, and they knowingly and willfully joined a conspiracy to unlawfully change the outcome of the election in favor of Trump. That conspiracy contained a common plan and purpose to commit two or more acts of racketeering activity in Fulton County, Georgia, elsewhere in the state of Georgia, and in other states. It is a 97-page indictment that contains 41 felony counts against Trump and the 18 defendants, and it alleges that they unlawfully conspired and endeavored to conduct and participate in a criminal enterprise in Fulton County, Georgia. I think it's called RICO. Racketeering. The RICO Act, which Georgia has a RICO Act. The Racketeer Influenced and Corrupt Organizations Act. And that's where most of the stuff's falling under. And as I said, Trump is one of 19 individuals who were indicted Monday. I'm going to tell you about those others in just a second. Georgia certified election results showing that Trump's Opponent Joe Biden won the state's November 3rd election by 11,779 votes. And if you followed what happened in Georgia closely, there have been definitely some evidence presented about some shenanigans that went on in the voting totals. And I'll never forget about a year and a half ago, I think his name is Paul Brown, and his his last name is spelled B-R-A-U-N. Look it up. I I think you can find this out there on YouTube. 
I have to believe Paul Brown knows what he's talking about. Paul Brown was a former congressman who represented Athens and other parts of that section of Georgia. And he was a doctor prior to going into politics. And it was Paul Brown, and his name is actually B-R-O-U-N. And he was congressman in Georgia. Jody Heiss took over his seat when he left office in 2015. Paul Brown is who I'm talking about. And he, after this 2020, 2020 election, I think it was him that was brought in to sort of investigate what happened with the Georgia vote in 2020. And I saw a press conference that he helped lead sometime, I think it was last year, 2020, 2021, I think it was. And uh, no, 2022 was last year. And he presented unbelievable evidence that I'd never saw anywhere featured except it was on live on Newsmax. And so I don't know if this guy's just completely full of it or if his facts are wrong, but what they had done is they went in and they got all kinds of records that were public information, public records from just Fulton County, just Fulton County. And they were able to show how completely out of the norm that vote total was in Fulton County, Georgia in 2020's election. Again, you can go watch this press conference in its entirety. I was stunned, and what what stunned me even more is how this was not covered by any of the major media outlets. As I said, I saw it live at the time on Newsmax, which is certainly a right-of-center entity out there covering stuff, and I have not seen or heard from it since. So check it out. I think it was Paul Brown. I'm, I'm, I'm having a hard time finding that video. You know, all this stuff is pretty third world, what we're witnessing. The one side accusing the one other side of voter intimidation and trying to racketeer their way to an election victory, while the other side claims this is voter intimidation and 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 more. And here we are in 2023 in America having a former president be indicted for a fourth time. And some people would say, well, he deserved it. He deserves every one of these. And others would be like, well, they would echo what Trump says, that they're only doing that to silence him, to get rid of Donald Trump as a political contender. He is such a threat to democracy that he must be taken out by any means, including four different indictments now this one on Monday I've been concerned about the whole time you knew that Fonnie Willis and the way Fulton County is set up she was going to come after Trump there's no doubt about it and she's got the backing of the current governor of the state of Georgia not that that matters but Governor Kemp certainly not necessarily going to go out and break his neck to protect Donald Trump and if he did something wrong, if he did something illegal in any of these four cases, then let the scales of justice come down on Trump and anybody else. 
but Trump has maintained his innocence. Trump says he's completely innocent. And if you listen to his argument, he he makes a very, very strong case. And that's why we have the legal system. We will find out how innocent or how guilty he could be if this proceeds. And the latest one out of Georgia again is that Trump has until August 25th to surrender. And Fonnie Willis wants this case tried soon. She wants it in the halls of the legal system of Atlanta and Fulton County very, very soon, within six months, it sounds like. Again, on Monday, President Trump indicted alongside 18 others. So who are the other 18 indicted in this Georgia election case? Trump's got 13 charges he's facing, including racketeering. So what about the others? The others include Rudy Giuliani, the America's mayor guy. Giuliani, one of the most vocal allies for Trump, indicted on multiple charges, including RICO, racketeering charges. This is a guy who was once one heck of a prosecutor for the federal government in lower Manhattan, and now he's being charged on racketeering? (laughs) I assume they've got some strong evidence for that. Rudy Giuliani, one of the group of 19, you could call this. How about John Eastman, an attorney? who pressed certain states to appoint alternate elector slates in order to help resolve the disputed slates that Mike Pence and others were going to push forward on January 6th. Eastman charged in this indictment. Mark Meadows, the former North Carolina congressman who went on to be President Trump's chief of staff. And he's been put into this indictment. A guy named Kenneth Cheesebro, a special attorney, an attorney who, according to Jack Smith, assisted in devising and attempting to implement a plan to submit fraudulent slates of presidential electors to obstruct the certification proceeding. Cheesebro has been indicted. A former Justice Department official named Jeffrey Clark, who served as acting assistant attorney general for the civil division during Trump's final months in office. He believed that the 2020 election had been stolen and was called a true believer. He has been indicted. How about this lady? She was on TV a lot. She was a member of Trump's legal team. A young attorney, Jenna Ellis. She has been indicted. Lawyer Ray Smith III. He asked, according to this indictment, he asked Georgia lawmakers to vacate the election results. He's been indicted. Robert Cheeley, a Atlanta lawyer who assisted the campaign in presenting evidence that said showed voting inconsistencies and irregularities. He's been indicted. Michael Roman, a Trump staffer, has been indicted in this case. David Schaefer, former chairman of the Georgia Republican Party, He accused Fulton County officials of improperly handling the election process. So he can accuse them of that and now be indicted? I mean, this is getting ridiculous now that I'm sitting here reading all 
all of this stuff, if this is all they've got to go against these people, their First Amendment right to to speak up and now they're being indicted because they don't believe that the election process was handled properly? A state senator in Georgia, Sean Steele, who serves as a Republican in the Georgia Senate right now, he was one of the alternate electors and now has been indicted. He also was subpoenaed by the January 6th committee. A police chaplain in Illinois, (laughs) Stephen Lee, who leads a Chicago Lutheran church, he was allegedly involved in efforts to pressure poll workers in Georgia into claiming election fraud, and he's been indicted. Harrison Floyd, executive director of the Black Voices for Trump, Harrison has been indicted. He was allegedly involved in efforts to pressure poll workers into promoting fraud allegations. Another weird indictment in this case. Trevion Cuddy, a Chicago-based publicist who represented Kanye West. And Cuddy is supposed to have traveled to the home of a frightened Georgia election worker who was facing death threats after being falsely accused of manipulating votes by Trump. And this publicist now indicted. And then... This was the person, I think, that if you're going to come after anybody, you better get this person if you are against Trump because this this lady was truly, in my opinion, the spokesperson for this whole effort to overturn the supposed results of the election. Sidney Powell, a former federal prosecutor, she has been indicted in this case in Georgia. And then a couple of local people in Georgia, the former Coffee County Republican Party and Georgia chairwoman Kathy Latham, a former school teacher, has been indicted, and Latham is accused of helping Trump's team gain access to county voting systems in Coffee County, Georgia. And then a Fulton County Republican poll watcher named Scott Hall, a bail bondsman from the Atlanta area who is alleged to have helped Trump allies access voting equipment, he has also been indicted. Oops, and I left one more off. Misty Hampton, a former election supervisor in Coffee County, Georgia. Misty Hampton is suspected of helping Trump supporters assess voting equipment. A very lengthy indictment that came down Monday from Fonnie Willis, the DA there in Fulton County, Georgia. And this was a nearly 100-page indictment leveled against these 19 people of which Donald Trump is part of it. Trump, again, with multiple counts, 13 counts against Trump alone. Should I read out what these are? You got your pen and paper ready? I mean, these are a lot. 13 counts against Trump include violating the Georgia RICO Act, that racketeering act, solicitation of a violation of oath of office by a public officer, Conspiracy to commit impersonating a public officer. Conspiracy to commit forgery in the first degree. Conspiracy to commit false statements and writings. Conspiracy to commit filing false documents. Conspiracy to commit forgery in the first degree. Filing false documents and solicitation of violation of oath by a public officer. All of those against Donald John Trump from Fonnie Willis, the Democratic DA in Fulton County, Georgia. And all that I know 
that Trump did personally in this case was call up Brad Raffensperger, the Secretary of State of Georgia, and say, I just want to find a so-and-so amount of votes. He didn't say, go find me. He didn't say, you better find me. He essentially was saying his opinion, that he wants to find that amount of votes because that's what he needs to win. Is that illegal? I don't think it is. Did he send troops to go force poll workers to dig up that amount of votes? No. He's a, he's a guy who was president and he's trying to hold on to his job and he didn't want to see things in Georgia happen to where by that small s- small amount of vote counting he would lose this election and people weren't out trying to make sure the votes were counted properly because we know in Georgia prior to even the 2020 election and the 2018 gubernatorial election it was such a slender, slender margin of victory for Kemp over Stacey Abrams. And we knew Georgia was going to be close. I still find it extremely difficult to believe that Georgia elected Joe Biden and North Carolina didn't. If you've been watching politics in the South here in the last decade, it was North Carolina that was more likely to go blue than even Georgia. So how in the heck could that have happened? We will find out. That's why we've got, maybe if nothing else, all these cases that Trump's going to have to fight in court where he should be given an equal footing legally. Maybe there's evidence out there. Maybe there's something that's going to show that indeed you darn right the 2020 election was stolen from me and here's the proof that I've got and you can't deny it in a court of law you can censor me on television you can put big graphics on your CNN network and call it the big lie but by God in this courtroom you cannot run from the truth and here is my evidence if Trump doesn't have that kind of defense coming his way then he's going to go to jail and he's going to lose the public opinion I would like to see the truth come out. And I cannot believe that Trump doesn't have wild cards. But right now, based on the last two and a half years of the way his legal team has defended him, it's not looking very good. It is not looking good. And I don't blame Trump. I blame these supposed experts. I mean, how could Rudy Giuliani, of all people, this guy that was America's mayor, Mr. Everything on the legal side, put all these bad guys in prison, how could he be indicted? I mean, this is not, I think, the only case that he's in legal trouble with. He's already been disbarred. And I think he's appealing in places like Washington, D.C. Not that he needs to be out practicing anyway. Good Lord, he's, what, nearly 80 years old now? But it's a matter of pride. If you're Rudy Giuliani or any other distinguished lawyer, you don't want to be disbarred. If nothing else, we will hopefully, after all this stuff plays out, really get the truth. And if Trump is right on this, he will be vindicated. But right now, he's got to deal with a lot of headache. Four different cases of indictments. In four locations, 
from Florida to Georgia to D.C. to New York. And we still might not be done. I mean, he's still got the E. Gene Daniels defamation stuff going on. And uh, he's got a lot of distractions. Instead of getting out there on that golf course today, Trump, you, you might want to make sure you got an incredible legal team helping you out. I know you're out raising money to go toward your legal team. But you need to start having some legal victories, Mr. Trump. Right now, you're on the defense. And you need to go on the offense legally. Or else, not only will you not have a chance at being elected president in 2024, you've got a very good chance of putting on a jumpsuit because these people are coming after you with everything they've got. And they're not going to let up, especially in places like Atlanta, Georgia. They... They've got blood in the water there in Atlanta, and they want you bad. And they'd rather have you there that the people against you would rather have you in a Georgia prison than any of these other places in the country because this is a state case. This is not a federal deal as opposed to Mar-a-Lago or the January 6th stuff. And the rules are a little bit different, including videos. We're going to see in this Fonnie Willis DA case against President Trump a lot more of President Trump in the courtroom if this proceeds we'll keep an eye on this developing case again the big story President Trump Monday evening he and a total of 19 people indicted in the Georgia election case we got a lot more headlines that we'll be getting to throughout the day's y'all show but that's of course our, our big one to start off here on this Tuesday edition We'll take a little bit of a break here and come back on the Y'all Show with a look at some sports news across the Southeast. And somewhere, if we got uh, the opportunity, we've got some good news out of Georgia, and it has nothing to do with politics. Those Georgia Bulldogs are your preseason number one team in college football. I've got the entire top 25 that I'll be discussing as part of our Southern Sports Update. That plus the loss of a former Arkansas Razorback running back sad news out of the state of florida on that we'll have that when we come right back on the y'all show tuesday edition oh baby mine oh baby mine oh baby mine i get so lonely when i dream about you can't do without you that's why i dream about you if i could only put my Fifty-four for that one right here. Some old country, courtesy of Johnny and Jack, the Tennessee Mountain Boys. Of course, that Johnny Wright guy married to Kitty Wells. 
for a very, very, very long time. Johnny and Jack were a duo all the way up to 1956. Johnny Wright and then his partner on that, Johnny Wright and Jack Anglin. Anglin died at a, in a car crash at a fairly young age, but what a great song. That one, of course, covered by the Statler Brothers many, many years later. Oh, baby mine, I get so lonely. Nice little song getting us going here on this Tuesday Y'all Show. Let's bring you up to speed on some southern sports news of the day, and we start off with some tragic news from the world of college football as a former Arkansas Razorback Alex Collins has died at age 28 in a motorcycle crash. This happened in Broward County, Florida. He was involved in a motorcycle crash in Lauderdale Lakes. On Sunday evening, Alex Collins, who played for the Razorbacks and then went on to play five seasons in the NFL, he crashed into a sport utility vehicle on West Oakland Park Boulevard. According to a news release, the SUV was making a left turn when Collins' motorcycle hit its rear passenger side, causing him to go through a window and come to rest inside the vehicle. He was pronounced dead at the scene. Sad, sad story. A family statement said Alex was cherished by his family and friends as well as supporters from all around the world. All who truly know him can attest to his drive, determination, and larger-than-life personality. Alex Collins was a fifth-round pick of the Seattle Seahawks back in 2016. That followed his career at the University of Arkansas, where he starred there in the backfield for the Hogs for the number of years that he was there in the Ozarks. He would play for the Seahawks and then would go on to play with the 2017 Baltimore Ravens. He led Baltimore with 973 yards rushing and six touchdowns in that season. The Ravens, with a statement, said, With heavy hearts, we mourn the passing of Alex Collins, always quick to greet everyone with a smile. He was genuinely a kind person who carried a special joy and passion wherever he went. Tough, tough. Russell Wilson putting out a statement to one of my favorite teammates. You brought joy to every huddle. Keep dancing in heaven. Love you, AC, forever missed. Hashtag RIP. That from Russell Wilson. At Arkansas, Alex Collins rushed for 1,000 yards in three consecutive seasons. He scored 20 touchdowns as a junior. He's just one of five players in SEC history to rush for 1,000 yards in three straight seasons. That list Alex Collins is part of includes Herschel Walker, Kevin Falk, Darren McFadden, a hog, uh, Arkansas hog there, and Benny Snell Jr. of Kentucky fame. Mm. Now, more tragedy coming from the Arkansas alumni. Remember just a few months ago, Ryan Mallett, who was a, also a member of the 2017 Baltimore Ravens as a backup quarterback. Mallett drowned while down in Florida on vacation. Mallett played before Alex Collins got to Arkansas, but former Razorback and NFL player and most recently a member of the Memphis Showboats of the USFL, Alex Collins dies at age 28 in a motorcycle crash. The latest preseason rankings from the Associated Press came out on Monday, and no surprise, the Georgia Bulldogs are number one in the country heading into the start of the college football season. 
the dogs with 60 first place votes coming in at number two the michigan wolverines they got two number one votes and then ohio state checked in at number three by the way the georgia dogs open up their season against the skyhawks of the university of tennessee martin oh yeah ut martin between the hedges against georgia to start the 2023 season coming in at number four it's actually the lowest they've started in quite some time alabama checks in in this new ap poll at number four they've got another team from the volunteer state coming their way for their opener as the blue raiders from murfreesboro aka mtsu is the opponent for the crimson tide in week one lsu is at number five in the ap preseason poll usc the ones out of los angeles are number six Penn State 7, Florida State is 8, Clemson is at number 9 in the preseason poll, the Huskies of Washington, the Big Ten bound Huskies, UW is at number 10, the Texas Longhorns check in at number 11, the other UT, the ones from Knoxville are at number 12, I'm excited about Tennessee's opener, they've got a really neat opener on their schedule as they've got Virginia, UVA and UT getting together at high noon Knoxville time on ABC on that first game of the season and I bet you Tennessee's going to have a return trip to Charlottesville at some point but the Vols are number 12 in the preseason poll Notre Dame actually gets going next Saturday they've got a game against Navy in Ireland Notre Dame is at 13 in the preseason poll the Utes of Utah are 14 Oregon is 15 K-State 16 and the team that played for the national championship in 2022. TCU is the preseason number 17 team. The Beavers of Oregon State are 18. Wisconsin is 19. OU, Oklahoma is number 20. The Hills of North Carolina check in at number 21. Mississippi and Lane Kiffin are 22 in the poll. A&M of Texas A&M variety. A team that was terrible last year. Somehow they're ended up in number 23 spot in this preseason poll for the new season. And now about your Cotton Bowl champion, Tulane Green Wave. Tulane ranked number 24 in this preseason poll. And wrapping things up at number 25, the Hawkeyes of Iowa. And that is your AP college football preseason poll. And we'll have much more college football news and NFL news as we go forward in today's Y'all Show, including the arrest of a former Mississippi State player and a very, very longtime member of the Washington Redskins. Fred Smoot has been arrested. I'll tell you about that, as well as the blind side. Was it all a big lie? It looks like it. A lawsuit filed by Michael Orr against the Tuohys. We'll give you all of that information as we continue on on this Y'all Show Tuesday edition. But hang on. When we come back, we're going to wrap up this first hour of our conversation about the South with a Southern political report. We've got a little Trump-related activity to tell you about. Plus, Ronnie Jackson, Trump's old doctor there in the White House, got into a little scuffle at a rodeo. What, what's going on in Texas, y'all? All that is coming up on the show that shakes the Southland. Problem, I'm on a drink off my chest. 
Interference, election interference. That song right there, the debut song of a guy named George Strait. It only went to number six on the chart back in 1981. Rigged, I'm telling you. I bet you Razzie Bailey was number one that week. And George Strait couldn't get to the top. That ain't right. Where's Trump when you need him? What was Trump doing in 1981, I wonder? We're back here on the Y'all Show. And speaking of DJT... We're going to spend a few minutes before we wrap up this first hour of our Tuesday edition telling you about the Southern political front. And we start off with the former president in mind who just got indicted with all kind of charges on Monday evening in Fulton County, Georgia. A story up at CNN.com penned by New Jersey native Elena Treen and Caitlin Polantz. The title of this story, Trump has no plans to stop posting about 2020 election conspiracy case despite stern warnings from the judge. And that judge is Tanya Chutkin, an appointee of Obama, considered to be highly partisan and very biased and unfair. That's what Trump says about her on Truth Social. On Monday, the former president is out here on his Truth Social account not backing off at all and this was on the day Monday that he got indicted in Atlanta and he has insisted it's his first amendment right to defend himself publicly and has viewed social media as his opportunity to share his his thoughts and not be censored but that judge I'm telling you she's likely going to try to do something to shut him up And some legal scholars would likely say it's not in his best, it's not good for President Trump to be out talking about his cases publicly. But the guy does things a little bit different. You might be aware of that. One Trump advisor said that he'll share what he feels is necessary, and if she has a problem with it, she'll address it. Again, this judge is representing the case of January 6th out of the four cases he's got. This one is a federal case and Trump's lawyers have through the months and years struggled to control his social media habits and those things will likely be brought up in these cases if they advance the trial. Of course one of the topics that came up over the last couple days was and it was asked to Trump, are you going to have a plea in any of these cases? And Trump emphatically denied that he was innocent so you don't have a plea deal if you are innocent and Trump says he's innocent and Trump has again according to this article on CNN.com no plans to shut up on social media maybe they'll kick him off again do you think he could get kicked off of his own truth social now that would be something of course he was kicked off of the former Twitter and Facebook and more after the election of 2020 now, let's talk about how Roe versus Wade 
is going to likely continue to help Democrats going forward. Harry Enten, I'm giving CNN a lot of credit. They do, a, I think, a good job. You may not always agree with CNN, but they do have a large staff of people that are into the political front. And Harry Enten, he's the guy that does all the polling and data for them and is rather humorous. Harry Enten has a story up on CNN.com how the reversal of Roe continues to win Democrats' elections. You can't deny that. I, like many others, completely believe that the 2022 midterms were more of a Democratic win than a Republican because, not not because of Trump, but because of abortions. You've got women who would even be considered Republicans that go into a polling booth and vote against Republicans who are anti-abortion. They are pro-abortion privately. They may not go out and stand in line and picket for abortion rights, but in a polling booth, heck yeah, they're going to come against the Republicans and the conservatives. And so you're seeing that play out in 2022. You're going to likely keep seeing it. That's why if you're a conservative, you're a Republican, you just need to let Roe versus Wade go away. Don't bring it up any chance you get. Do not do not gloat about the overturning of Roe versus Wade. You can do it internally. You can do it amongst your closest friends. But you cannot keep bragging about this thing because all it does is make those women voters who are maybe with you 65% of the time, but on this abortion thing, they are not with you. So just... Let's just kick that can down the road and be happy that if you're a conservative, that was a victory for you. It was a victory It was a victory for the country, frankly, because it goes back to the states. And as a states writer, that's the way it ought to be, y'all. Almost everything should be on a state level. The heck with this federal government. Yeah, I said it. Come arrest me. <laughs> Enough of these federal taxes and federal junk. I mean... Just get me a federal government that protects our country from foreign invasion, and we'll call it a day. Isn't that what it's kind of supposed to be all about? But yes, this Harry Enten article goes deep into how women are still backing the abortion case. And most recently, in Ohio, there was a special kind of ballot measure, and it was a ballot measure seen as a proxy fight over proposed constitutional amendments to guarantee abortion rights that would be on the state's ballot in November and the abortion rights side won convincingly in that Ohio ballot measure just the other week and it's going to keep impacting especially if Republicans keep bringing it up so I advise them not to do so wrapping up here with some news headlines from across the southeast y'all know Ronnie Jackson he's the congressman out of Texas who used to be a Navy admiral, and was the White House physician. Well, body camera video now shows that Congressman Jackson approaching a group of people surrounding a 15-year-old girl who authorities have said was having seizures, and the Republican congressman got into an argument with one of the people attending the teenager before she was put on the stretcher, and then Jackson is wrestled to the ground by at least two officers, And it all involves, again, at a rodeo, Ronnie Jackson trying to, it looked like, help out, but he was berating officers after being wrestled to the ground at this rodeo. You'll just have to watch the video to to check it out. And that is a look at some of our political 
action across the southeast as part of our southern political report that wraps up hour one more fun coming in hour two stay with us show that is all about the south i'm john rawl and this is y'all powered by y'all.com the south's homepage. go to yall.com and catch up with all the latest of what's going on across the southeast i've got a story i'm about to post when this show wraps today that's going to be truly a fantastic read for all y'all so go to y'all.com bookmark that page put it on facebook we have y'all.com there please follow us on facebook and more it's the Website about the South, powered by this right here, the show about the South. We are y'all, and we are on great radio stations across the Southeast today. We also have our podcast edition of the Y'all Show that you can find on Spotify, the iHeartRadio app, the TuneIn app. We're also in Apple iTunes and Apple Podcasts. Plus, we're on y'all.com. Give us a listen when you get the opportunity, and you'll be thrilled. And one thing about the podcast, you can put a little pause if you are listening to us and you got something to do, or maybe mama's calling on the other line, you can put pause into effect and you can come back and listen to us when you get the opportunity. And we appreciate it. I got some people that let me know that, hey, I just got finished listening to three days worth of the y'all show while I was on that drive. I had to catch up with you. And sometimes people will text me and I don't know what in the world they're talking about. And then I realized they're they're actually bringing up something from like four days ago. And they just wanted to share with me their thoughts. And that's fine. That's why we have our 24-hour-a-day text line. And it's set up for just that, 615-208-4184. You can let us know what you're thinking. And you can also let us know what you're thinking if you want to drop us an email. Mail, M-A-I-L, at Y-A-L-L.com. Coming up here in the second hour of our Tuesday edition of the Y'all Show. More headlines from across the Southeast. In addition to giving you the latest on the Trump indictment out of Fulton County, Georgia, we also have some other political news to pass along. In the state of Mississippi, they're going to have their first black House Republican since Reconstruction. Congratulations to a gentleman out of South Haven, Rodney Hall, as he defeated charlie hoots in the republican primary he does not have a democratic contender we'll give you some information about northwest mississippi and the political history made there with the election of rodney hall that's coming up in our headlines from across the southeast today plus an update on some stories we told you about earlier on the y'all show including the coast guard has rescued those four divers off of the north and south carolina coast great great news to pass along plus A story out of Memphis, we told you last week how a guy stole an ambulance at a hospital there, an ambulance that had brought over a young boy who was on a bicycle, and he ran into the mayor of Earl, Arkansas, and they had to take him to Le Bonheur in Memphis. And while at the hospital, the ambulance from Earl, Arkansas was stolen. We've got an update 
from that case to tell you about here. Plus, the godfather of black music has passed away, Clarence Avant. We'll tell you more about that gentleman. And Peyton Manning is going to be a University of Tennessee, not football player this time, but a professor high on Rocky Top. Professor Peyton Manning. What is that all about? We'll give you the latest in our news headlines of this second hour. Plus, we've got the Southern Book Report coming your way. A look at Amazon's top books, as well as the best books that Amazon has listed for the month of August. Included with that is Tom Lake, a novel, and that is by Nashville author Ann Patchett. And we've got a little interview that Patchett recently did on the Barnes & Noble YouTube page. We'll share some of that interview in our book report coming up. Plus, before the hour is up, a look at some entertainment news. How about Barbie? That movie is on track to be the biggest movie of 2023. Whoa, what a movie. We'll have info on that, plus some movie and other Nashville-related stories. Megan Maroney news. Yes, the Tennessee Orange singer. She's getting a lot of attention right now, and we'll tell you why in our entertainment report before this hour is up. So plenty of information that you don't want to miss out on right here on the show that shakes the Southland. So the big news of the day is that President Trump was indicted. He and a total of 19 people indicted Monday evening. And now he has until August 25th to surrender in Fulton County, Georgia. The DA there in Fulton County is Fonnie Willis. She held a press conference where she handed up to a grand jury charges against the former president and these total of 19 people. And they have, again, until late August to surrender to law enforcement. She would like the trial to take place within six months. That's what she said in her press conference Monday. And there are a host, a host of charges leveled against this nearly two dozen group of people. The We can give it a name. Let's see here. The Fulton County 19 is what we could call this. President Trump now indicted for a fourth time as a result of Fonnie Willis bringing these charges against him. He's got 13 counts leveled against him, including violating Georgia's Racketeering Act, the RICO Act, and a whole bunch of other things Trump's been indicted on. Rudy Giuliani indicted. Lawyer John Eastman, former Chief of Staff, North Carolina Congressman before he became Chief of Staff, Mark Meadows indicted. Also, you've got Jenna Ellis, who worked in the Trump House, Trump White House, and part of his legal team. She's been on TV a lot. She's been indicted. You also have, including in this, some Georgia officials, and then Sidney Powell, who was on TV a lot back at this time when the election was going on. She's a former Trump legal team member and a former federal prosecutor. Indicted. It's an ugly, ugly case. But now, officially, Donald J. Trump has been indicted for a fourth time. We will keep our eye on Fulton County, Georgia, and the other places that Trump is having legal, legal woes. Sad story out of Kill Devil Hills on the Outer Banks of North Carolina. Three vacationers from the state of Maryland died, three others injured in a house fire that happened there in the last couple of days. Those identified at this house fire, a 13-year-old out of Silver Spring, Maryland, Sienna Farr, 
and a couple from Ashton, Maryland, Colleen Cohan and William Digg. They're both in their mid and late 60s. Those three dying in this house fire on the Outer Banks. Three others again injured. They were vacationing in a waterfront rental home that was engulfed by the blaze in the pre-dawn hours on Friday of last week along North Virginia Dare Trail. Two other properties damaged. Again, these three who died in this house fire were from Maryland vacationing in North Carolina's Outer Banks and in Kill Devil Hills. This fire took the lives of these three. An update of a story we told you about on the Monday Y'all Show where four divers went missing miles off the South Carolina slash North Carolina coast, somewhere out there off of Myrtle Beach. They went missing. Well, great news. The Coast Guard and Navy have safely brought back these four divers to shore. They were brought back Monday after they were spotted thanks to an SOS strobe light. The Coast Guard notified that all the divers missing 63 miles off of Myrtle Beach. They were in a pleasure craft called Big Bills. And these divers did not resurface. Multiple helicopters and patrol boats went searching for them. And they were spotted thanks to this SOS strobe light. That's a great story. How about being offshore for more than a day and you're found alive. The survivors, those who were rescued, included 46-year-old Daniel Williams, his teenage son, 64-year-old Ben Wiggins, and 26-year-old Luke Lodge, all rescued. And what a great job the Coast Guard did in bringing these four back. Miles off the Carolina coast. Thank you, U.S. Coast Guard. Thank you, United States Navy. Now, another update. We told you about this story last week. The mayor of Earl, Arkansas, is only 19 years old. He was 18 when he was elected. And this young man was driving a car last week when another young man, a a teenager younger than him, ran into his car on a bicycle. And that kid had to go to the hospital in Memphis, went to Labonner Children's Hospital, While the ambulance for the kid was at the hospital, it was stolen in downtown Memphis. And the man who stole it, 33-year-old James Miller, ended up taking it for a, a little ride throughout the streets of Memphis. And that little ride turned out to be a bad, bad decision because he hit other people and hit other cars and stuff. Well, now this man accused of stealing the ambulance says in court that he has no recollection of events that he's now being charged for. The 33-year-old James Miller hit a pedestrian and caused several crashes along Perkins Extended in the Memphis area when he did this stupid thing last week. And in court Monday, Miller said he could not afford an attorney nor his $125,000 bond. He also said his family is not aware he is in Shelby County, Tennessee jail, and he has not spoken to them. He told the judge that he has no recollection of the events he's facing charges for. And Judge Karen Massey responded by saying he could not talk to her about the facts of his case. He's supposed to be back in court August 15th. Yeah, no recollection. You'd think after you hit somebody 
and you caused all this damage, you you knucklehead, you'd at least have the courtesy of telling your side of the story. Mm, what an idiot <laughs> in Memphis, Tennessee. Man accused of stealing an ambulance and now can't remember a thing about it. He better not have been on something called drugs. I think he probably was. Here's another ambulance stealing story to tell you about. This comes to us from Arlington County in Virginia. A driver who crashed a stolen vehicle into others. He stole an ambulance responding to that collision. And then with that ambulance collided with 13 vehicles as he headed into Washington, D.C. The man who stole the ambulance was 30-year-old Daryl Caldwell of Brandywine, Maryland. Virginia State Police identifying him as the man behind the ambulance chase. The stolen ambulance that he took after, again, there was a, a crash in Virginia. He stole this ambulance and went into Washington, D.C. with it. And 13 hit and runs in this stolen ambulance in the D.C. and Virginia area and ended up fleeing the ambulance and got into a foot chase and has been arrested, thankfully. <laughs> What's up with people stealing ambulances right now, y'all? <laughs> this guy here, 30-year-old Daryl Caldwell, hopefully will be in jail and not able to steal an ambulance anytime soon. The godfather of black music has died at age 92, Clarence Avant. He was a North Carolina native and a recording industry insider, according to authorities, who got the nickname the godfather of black music. He died at his L.A. home over the weekend. No cause of death given. And he started out in the music business in the 1950s as a manager. He had clients like Sarah Vaughn and Little Willie John and ended up writing the theme to Mission Impossible in the 1970s. And he also owned some black-owned radio stations in the country and did so much in the black music business. Again, a North Carolina native dying over the weekend and a business leader living in L.A. at the time of his death, Clarence Avant, the godfather of black music, dying at age 92. You better be on the lookout if you're in Mobile Bay. They recently caught in Mobile Bay a 524-pound gator. Alabama's alligator hunting season began August 12th, and they've already hauled in this 13-foot gator in Mobile Bay. Mm. You better look at the photo of this thing. It's they say on uh, Swamp People, a whopper. <laughs> One of uh, 50 people, this crew that hauled in this gigantic gator, they only give, I think, 50 permits out to hunt gators in this coastal management area of Mobile Bay. And they got busy hauling in this gigantic alligator. The Alabama Wildlife and Freshwater Fisheries Division recorded this gator at 12 feet, 9 inches long, and 524 pounds. And that's probably not going to be the last that we see. By the way, Alabama's state record for an alligator, 15 feet 9 inches. And that thing weighed over 1,000 pounds. 
I don't know when it was taken in, but it was taken in by a woman. Mandy Stokes of Thomaston, Alabama, took that thing in some time ago. Big Gators in Bama. And don't forget, we got Big Gators in the Carolinas, Georgia. We got them in Florida, of course. We just told you about 13-foot Gators in Alabama. Of course, Mississippi's got a few. And well inland, you're seeing alligators show up in Arkansas, Texas, big-time Texas, and even in Tennessee. I think they've even spotted a gator in Kentucky recently. So be on the lookout, y'all, and you don't want to run across a 13-foot gator if you can at all help it. (laughs) Watch out, Mobile Bay. The first black Republican since Reconstruction has been elected to the State House of Mississippi. Congratulations to Rodney Hall. He is out of South Haven and the DeSoto County area of Northwest Mississippi. And he won the Republican primary, besting a guy who was a former photographer for WREG out of Memphis, Charlie Hoots. Rodney Hall defeated Hoots in this Republican primary for Mississippi House District 20. That is a new House District in the Magnolia State. And he won it by 10 points. And so the black Republican Rodney Hall becomes Mississippi's first state representative that's a Republican that is also black. First one since Reconstruction. Hall is a nearly 20-year National Guard veteran and a former staffer of Trent Kelly, who is the congressman representing all of North Mississippi. So congratulations to this Army veteran. Rodney Hall, now going to be in the halls of Mississippi politics in Jackson. A quarter pound of meth. What is the best best way to maybe distribute a quarter pound of meth so you know you're getting your money's worth if you're out there on the street? If you're into the meth lifestyle, maybe, just maybe, a great way for you to deliver your meth that's at least a quarter pound worth of it is in a quarter pounder box. <laughs> In a traffic stop in Putnam County in Tennessee, that's Cookville, Tennessee, Putnam County deputies discovered a quarter pound of methamphetamine hidden inside a McDonald's quarter pounder hamburger box. And during this traffic stop that was driven, a car driven by 32-year-old Peggy Sue Cooper of Cookville, oh, it wasn't a burger in that quarter pounder box. Nope, something else. Miss Cooper gave deputies permission to search her truck, and during that search, deputies found the McDonald's box that had a quarter pound, not of burger, but of meth. And when they opened it, deputies discovered that the meth was approximately a quarter of a pound, which is also four ounces, if you're wondering, <laughs> of methamphetamine. Now, 32-year-old Peggy Sue, where's Buddy Holly when you need him? Peggy Sue Cooper faces several drug charges and her bond's been set at 50 thou. She's got a court date coming up on Wednesday in Cookville, Tennessee. A quarter pounder for this lady, but not a burger. And it's going to land her in jail and out of a lot of money for quite some time. Now, just down the road from Cookville is Knoxville. And this guy is going to be hanging out in Knoxville again. Peyton Manning is going back to his alma mater of the University of Tennessee. He's joining 
the teaching staff at the University of Tennessee's College of Communication and Information. He's going to be a professor of practice during this fall 2023 term. How would you like to have Mr. Manning as your teacher? In a statement, Peyton said that my time as a student in the College of Communication and Information was a foundational experience during which I learned critical skills and messaging techniques that I continue to put to use almost daily. I look forward to working with the college's talented faculty and directly with students in an effort to ensure they are well prepared for their future careers. I think this is just Peyton Manning using teaching as an excuse to be in Knoxville in the fall. That's what I think. I wonder if he's going to do, I'm sure he is, his little Peyton and Eli Monday Night Football podcast thingy that's on ESPN. He can be in Knoxville and do that. Maybe he's going to use these students at UT's communication school to help him out. By the way, Peyton Manning graduated from the University of Tennessee in 1997. He got a degree in speech communication and along the way helped lead the Big Orange to an SEC football championship, but not to a national championship. You can thank T. Martin and the teammates on that 1998 team for that. But Professor Peyton going to be there in Knox, Vegas this fall. And I bet when football season wraps, so will the teaching career of one Mr. Peyton Manning. <laughs> all right, let's tell you on the Y'all Show other... Do we have any more headlines? I might have covered them all. Yeah, when you, when you talk about Peyton Manning and you cover that, then you've just about... I, I think we've all caught up, yes, because I want to save. There was one more thing here, but I want to save that for another completely separate segment. So we're ahead of the game here on the Y'all Show on this Tuesday. Yeah, how about that? So when we come back, we're going to switch over to the world of books. We've got a Southern Book Report, and we're going to keep it in Tennessee as we've got a Nashville-based writer, Ann Patchett, who has penned the book Tom Lake, a novel. And this is part of a whole series. And that book is considered one of Amazon's best books for the month of August. And I'll let you know a whole lot more about Patchett and this book and more as we'll also go through some of Amazon's top reads that you can find. All that is part of our Southern Book Report. Before the hour is up, we've got an entertainment report headed y'all's way, including in that news on the movie Barbie. All that on the show that shakes the Southland, the Y'all Show. I'm rolling down Bakersfield, my own private hell on wheels, but this time I'm gone for good. Never gone this far before Beyond the slamming of the back screen door But you never loved me like you should And there ain't no doubt why I'm fine But I might as well move down the line Cause there's no comfort here in your zip code Share my love Cry on the shoulder of the road Some 1990s music out of Martina McBride here 
on the show all about the South. We've got an entertainment report coming up before this hour is up. Not sure if Martina's making entertainment headlines. I know Megan Maroney is. I'm going to tell you about that. The newcomer who had that song, Tennessee Orange, for all you big orange fans. And much to the uh, dismay of all you people who are Tennessee haters, that song's a big hit. We'll let you know about that in Barbie News on the Y'all Show. But right now, instead of talking about movies and films and country music and other entertainment stuff, we're going to tell you about the world of books. It is time for our weekly look at the Southern book scene. And we start off today telling you about the top reads, not on the New York Times bestsellers list, but on Amazon's charts. They've got their Amazon chart for the most sold and in the non-fiction category, Atomic Habits is right now on top of the Amazon chart. All that is number one. And then you got American Prometheus is number two. And then Outlive is number three. The most sold fiction on Amazon list, Tom Lake. And I'm going to let you know about Tom Lake in a big way in a second because the author of that is Ann Padgett. And we've got an interview that she recently did that we're going to play for you. The Nashville author spotlighted in just a moment. Also in the Amazon chart for most sold fiction, Fourth Wing and The Housemaid. The most read on the Amazon chart, American Prometheus. That is the Robert Oppenheimer book that is used to be the basis of the new movie Oppenheimer, which is in theaters. American Prometheus is number one in terms of the most read nonfiction, number two is Atomic Habits, number three, Outlive. And then on the Amazon chart for most read fiction, The Covenant of Water, followed by The Fourth Wing and Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. Those are your bestsellers and more from Amazon. Now, on Amazon's website, they have all kinds of information in terms of books, in terms of the charts of what's the most read, what's the most sold. But then the fun stuff is also packaged there. They've got their editor picks. And they've got a neat little graphic up right now called the Amazon Editor's Best Books of August. And when you click on that, right there, staring you right in the face, is this new book out by Nashville author Ann Patchett. And it is listed as part of the Best Books of August from Amazon and we're going to let you know more about this book but just kind of scanning through some of the other best books of August James McBride's The Heaven and Earth that's number one they don't have it listed in one to five they just got their five all put in there together then you got Patchett's book then Susan Casey's The Underworlds Journeys to the Depths of the Ocean by Susan Casey is on there. And then you've got Noel Crook's Under the Influence. And the other best book of August, according to the editors of Amazon, they called us exceptional from Prachi Gupta. All in the top books of August from their editors. Then they also get... Their editors very personal with their personal picks, and there's a whole slew of those. Then they even have best children's books by age for the month of August. And then they even really get it broken down into even more as they have best books by category for the month of August. 
let me pick a let me pick a really unusual one here. Let me let me choose uh, cookbooks, food, and wine. The editor's picks for the month of August. How about India Express? Simple and delicious recipes, so you can learn how to cook Indian. Then Alicia Kennedy's No Meat Required. Her book is out on this editor list. How about Cookie School? You can get a book about making cookies from Amanda Powell. <laughs> Recipes for Murder, 66, what is this called? 66 Dishes That Celebrate the Mysteries of Agatha Christie from Karen Pierce. See, there's a book for about everything, y'all. And mixing Agatha Christie and food together is pretty neat. And then how about this book, Chili Crisp, 50-plus recipes to satisfy your spicy, crunchy, garlicky cravings from James Park. And that chili-induced book is out right now. This is a, a writer who wrote this. James Park is a recipe developer and food writer based in Brooklyn. And he trained at the International Culinary Center in NYC. And he's worked with various media brands, including BuzzFeed and Chowhound. And he's got a whole book on chili. If you want to gift that to someone for a special occasion. <laughs> you know, making a perfect chili is probably a lost art. And kudos to anybody who's out promoting things like chili making in today's world. Yes, so that is a fantastic collection that Amazon's got there. August Reads. And we are very happy to hear on the Y'all Show tell you about it and tell you about up-and-coming authors like that guy with the chili book. But also, how about the fact that they get some of the top readers or, or top reads, frankly, and put that out for everybody to learn. And they've recently done Amazon a great job of putting Ann Patchett on their list of August reads. Ann Patchett has authored six novels, including Bel Canto, and that won the Orange Prize for Fiction. She's a writer for the New York Times Magazine, L, GQ, the Financial Times, the Paris Review, and Vogue. And this author of six novels is a Nashvillian. And we recently were able to go to the YouTube channel that Barnes & Noble has, and we found a brand new interview that they posted where they sat down and talked to Ann Patchett on their channel. And we're going to go now on the Y'all Show and pull up this interview that she did. It's just a little sample of this thing, but we thought that if you're going to talk about somebody, then it's only fitting that we give them their proper due. And so this lady who has written this book, Tom Lake, a novel, has sat down with some of the staffers of Barnes & Noble and we're going to go in now and listen to Ann Patchett talk about her career her novels and more the Nashville novelist Ann Patchett right here in our book review and book spotlight on this Tuesday Y'all Show I feel like happy families get a short shrift in literature mm -hmm. that's, that's a challenge and happiness in general mm -hmm. a challenge that I really work with because mm -hmm. I feel like the world is hard and a lot of really terrific books. I read books all the time that I think I don't actually want to hand this to a customer. Like I understand that this is brilliant, 
but I, I don't want to say, you know, this is what you really need to read. How can you focus on what is happy and positive and still be realistic and still be writing literature? No, nobody shows up fully formed. Mm -hmm. I mean, okay. I think about these people for years before I actually start to write the book. You know, I always think of myself as squinting at something at a great distance and then just really slowly moving towards it and thinking, what is that? Is that a bird? Is that an armadillo? Wait, no, that's a heroine. Hold on. I can't really see. Um, and so it just, it comes together in time, not in writing time, but in thinking time. And when I finally get it all together in my head is when I start. And I'll tell you something very strange about this book and about Laura and my decision to make her the narrator. The thing that made me put off starting this book for such a long time is I could not decide if Laura was the narrator or if Sebastian was the narrator. Oh. oh. All right, that is some of the interview that Nashville novelist Ann Patchett has done on the Barnes & Noble YouTube page. Go listen to that interview and watch it. Actually, you can see her from one of the bedrooms, it looks like, of her Nashville house doing this video interview. And her book is called, her latest book out of her six novels, Tom Lake, a novel. And it's one of Amazon's best books of August. And you can go pick that book up at wherever books are sold or online and check out with this talented southern lady who's got the one of the top selling books in the world right now tom lake a novel and that again ann patchett proud to show off her writing ability here on today's y'all show that wraps up our southern book report when we come back we're going to close out this hour of talking about dixie with our entertainment report from movies to music row we got it covered as we close out this tuesday Y'all show second hour. Stay tuned. on the y'all show closing out this hour with some entertainment news and we've got some megan maroney some ricky skaggs news we even have barbie news but let's start off today with kosciuszko mississippi's most famous child oprah winfrey and what a nice story and such a tragedy to tell you about as oprah winfrey has just visited shelters on the hawaiian island of maui I think Oprah has a house in Hawaii. 
and she's visited shelters and donated time and supplies to fire evacuees in the Aloha State. She was at these shelters earlier in the week visiting people who were displaced by the wildfires and helping bring supplies throughout. Local nonprofit group, and I'm not very good at Hawaiian, Kakayo Haleakaya posted on Instagram the following message, Maranlia Nua Oprah, I guess that means thank you, Thank you, Oprah, for following through. She returned with cots, pillows, and toiletries for people in the shelter in Waluku. She even spent time with the people there. It was very much appreciated. Winfrey owns property on Maui. I thought she lived in Hawaii, but I didn't know which island. And she's been volunteering at emergency shelters there on Maui, according to her spokesperson. The spokesperson added, Oprah has been to several local shelters to ask firsthand what they was what was needed most. She then went to Walmart and Costco to shop for the items and brought them back. It is heartbreaking devastation. You're right on that. We are right at 100 people who died in Hawaii in the last week and a half after these wildfires destroyed parts of that island that paradise it's not the first time Oprah Winfrey has helped out in times of wildfires back in 2019 she opened a private road on her property in Maui to help people quickly escape a brush fire that broke out so Oprah Winfrey Kosciuszko's native daughter and of course Nashville raised and TSU educated helping out there in the Aloha State with donations and giving of her time. Very heartwarming story and such a terrible tragedy. I think that fire there on Maui is now the largest death from a wildfire in modern American history. And could there have been anything done to prevent it is the question that we'll be asking for a long, long time. Moving on to movie talk, Barbie is on track to become the highest grossing domestic film of 2023. What a tremendous boost this has been in the box office world, having this movie out the last month or so. Now, right now, Barbie trails the Super Mario Brothers movie by an estimated $48 million. But we think, and according to the experts there that follow movies, that this is going to end up being the top grossing domestic film for 2023 Barbie has already brought in 155 million dollars domestically and it did that in its opening weekend and last week it brought in a total of a billion dollars in global box office sales only 50 films have ever done that in history not bad for a movie about a a doll (laughs) The comedy has um, been a huge draw at the box office. And just last week, Friday alone, Barbie took in $10 million. And it's been out for a month or so. Pretty good. And, of course, Oppenheimer's done well, too, at the box office. I actually, on Tuesdays, usually have a tradition, if I'm able to, to go see my discount movie place. They have $5 movies. Hmm. If you can't get me on the telephone later today, there's a chance that I might be watching Barbie 
in the box office. Now, I'm probably not going to watch Barbie. I am going to see Oppenheimer. I have not seen that yet, and I need to. Congratulations to Warner Brothers. That's the company that distributed the film, and they have had a box office smash here. The Margot Robbie movie is just uh, a big-time success. Barbie, Barbie, Barbie. From Oprah to Barbie, from Oprah to Barbie, and now country music starlet Megan Maroney. She's now directing a new music video, I'm Not Pretty. The lady is moving on from Tennessee Orange and putting out another song. And wow, the Georgia native is on a roll. The new music video is for the song, I'm Not Pretty. And that hit radio stations in the last couple of days. Megan, in a statement, said that I've had a creative vision for the long, for this song since I first wrote it, and I'm so excited that I was able to co-direct the music video. She says she's casted her best friends in real life to be in this music video, and though it was really important to portray the difference in the nice girls that seem to mind their own business and the mean girls who spend all of the time tearing down others, moral of the story. Nice girls always win. Hmm. Megan Maroney co-wrote the song alongside Ben Williams, Mackenzie Carpenter, and Micah Carpenter. And it was written following a real-life experience that mimics the song's lyrics. As evidently, Megan saw her ex-boyfriend's new girlfriend on, I think, social media or something like that. I'm not sure what this statement reads or how it reads but Megan Maroney now a music video director coming to a YouTube channel and maybe to CMT if they don't ban it real soon following up to this song follows Tennessee Orange Megan Maroney I need to find out she's a University of Georgia alumnus which had to be painful to get up there and sing a song about Tennessee all the time I'm not sure where she is from in Georgia. So let me see if this isn't easily accessible. Where this Savannah, Georgia-born Megan Maroney, who is 25 years young. I don't know where she grew up, but she was born in Savannah, and she did attend UGA. Go dogs! I think that even says that in the song. want to congratulate Ricky Skaggs. He and his wife, Sharon have been together 42 years of wedded bliss. So congratulations. They're sharing their secret to their marriage right now. And Ricky says, I honor her and love her even when she doesn't feel too loved herself. Ricky Skaggs and Sharon White, of course, she's a member of the Grand Ole Opry's The Whites, which are kind of a gospel group. And now together, 42 years. (laughs) You know what? I'm going to really sound old. I think I remember when they got married course i've seen them perform on the grand Ole opry together and separately for a long long time and it's not the whites if you hear ricky skaggs say it it's the whites whites the whites martha uh, not martha white uh, sharon martha white's the flower uh sharon white white i need to say it right i need to say it white this is the y'all show we wrapped up now our second hour we will be back with more fun about the south and so much more when our third hour comes up right after this
going to be pulling any punches. We bring a lot of fight to this third hour of our Tuesday Y'all Show. John Rawl, oh, the Carolina kid. You could call me that if I got into the boxing ring. Yeah, we are going to have a lot of punches being thrown by Jerry Short here. He's coming up in our Takapola Storyteller feature. And Jerry has already warned me that he's got fighting on his mind. Where's Merle Haggard when you need him with fight inside of me? <laughs> Jerry is going to be on, and he's going to talk about fist fighting. I don't know what, what, what's going on with that fella. All I know is what he told me he's going to talk about. So let's let's all kind of get over here in the corner and dodge whatever Jerry's going to be throwing our way. All that's coming up in the next segment in this final hour of our Tuesday Y'all Show. And before the hour is up, I think Jerry's been hit on the head by a cowbell at a Mississippi State game before. Well, guess what? Those cowbells will be a-clanging as we finish up this hour. We're going to give a spotlight today to the Mississippi State Bulldogs. Hell State, hell yeah. All right, we're going to talk about what Zach Garnett's got going as he takes over for the late Mike Leach in Stark Vegas. We'll walk through the Mississippi State 2023 schedule and what we kind of expect out of the maroon and white in 2023. All that as part of our tour across the southeast. On Monday, we were in Blacksburg telling you about Virginia Tech. Today, we're in Stark, Vegas. On Wednesday's Y'all Show, we'll find ourselves in New Orleans as Tulane is the spotlight school. Thursday, it's in Athens talking about the national champion Georgia Bulldogs. And then Friday, we wrap up this week's coverage of our Southern teams, getting you ready for the start of the 2023 season. We'll be in Homewood, home of your SoCon champion, Samford Bulldogs. That's our Spotlight School Friday. All that right here on the Y'all Show. <laughs> Love it. If you want to get involved with the program, our number, 615-208-4184. That's a text line you can text Anytime you feel like it, and you can drop us an email, M-A-I-L, mail at y'all.com. Before we bring on the Takabola kid and talk about fighting, before we bring on Zach Arnett and Mississippi State's coverage talking about college football, let's bring you up to speed with the latest out of Atlanta and the other headlines of the day and the story out of Atlanta on, on this Tuesday. It follows what happened Monday evening where President Trump has been charged with 13 counts in a Georgia election probe, and he joins 18 others who were all indicted by Fulton County Prosecutor and DA Fonnie Willis. And I just found out that all 19, it appears, are going to be charged together in this case. It's going to be a very long, lengthy case in the Peach State when this thing gets going. President Trump and the others, he's supposed to be turning himself in to Fulton County before the week is up, but the others have up until August 25th to surrender. And this, again, is President Trump's fourth indictment of the year. We've covered this already big time. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it in this hour, but yes, another indictment for Donald J. Trump out of Georgia, and we expected this one to come, and I've said it before, this is the one that probably scares me the most of all of the indictments, because it's in a state case. You've got the audio recording that has been played over and over of Trump saying, I just want to find uh, whatever the number count of votes he's looking for. 
and it could be not the best news if this thing goes awry for Donald Trump and the other 18 charged in this case out of Fulton County, Georgia. Other headlines of the day. Three Maryland vacationers have died in a house fire while on vacation in the Outer Banks portion of North Carolina. This fire breaking out in Kill Devil Hills, North Carolina. The three who died were a 13-year-old from Silver Spring, Maryland, and a couple who were in their mid-60s from Ashton, Maryland, all three dying in this house fire there in coastal North Carolina in the last few days. Another story out of the coast of the Carolinas, the U.S. Coast Guard has found and rescued the four missing male divers who went diving and their boat went away, went I guess it sank. I'm not sure what happened to their boat, but these four divers have been found by the U.S. Coast Guard alive, rescued 46 miles southeast of Cape Fear River, North Carolina. A feel-good story in a time where we often have tragedy across the southeast. Also, want to let you know that the godfather of black music, a North Carolina native, Clarence Avant has died at the age of 92. Got into the business managing artists on radio stations. Born in a segregated hospital in North Carolina around 1930 was when he was born. And he has passed away. Clarence Avant, godfather of black music, is how he is described. Also in our headlines across the southeast... In Cookville, Tennessee, a woman arrested there after she had stored a quarter pound of methamphetamine in a quarter pounder McDonald's hamburger box. Peggy Sue Cooper of Cookville, the 32-year-old now in the Putnam County Jail. Sheriff's office there in Putnam County, Tennessee caught her during a traffic stop and found that quarter pounder of McDonald's, not a burger, but meth. And she's going to be having something to chew on for quite some time. That would be her stupid decisions. Peyton Manning is back on the UT Knoxville campus. He's going to be teaching. He'll be a faculty member in Tennessee's College of Communication and Information. Professor Peyton Manning will be there this fall. And how would you like to sign up for his class? He'll be a professor of practice in the fall 2023 term. I think I might be dropping that one if I got Peyton Manning as a professor. <laughs> and that's a look at some of our headlines here on this Tuesday Y'all Show. When we come back, we are going to hear from the Takapola storyteller. George, Jerry Short is going to be coming by. He's already warned me. Today I'm going to be talking about yep. fist fighting. So when we come back, we're going to hear from the Takapola guy himself, Jerry Short. So get your gloves out, y'all, and use protection against this guy's left and right hook okay so all that's coming up it's gonna be fun why does this guy do what he does well it's all true actually it's all true what he's telling us the takapola storyteller is up before we get out of here this hour all about mississippi state ring them cowbells
Skirmishes along the way, and I wanted to talk to you about getting your tail beat because that's happened Ooh. to you more than one time. Now I think you've also kicked people's tails. It works both ways sometimes. So what's but, the percentage uh, of you winning versus you losing when it comes to fist fights? Well, it depends on if we're talking one on one or one on ten. <laughs> and I have been one, on one on one. I have been on a one on ten. Um, one on one, I have uh, definitely taking a fall on that one and uh, i'm not going to mention who it was but uh so that it, would be a loss that would be a loss and uh other than that i've probably i guess i've picked my people pretty good right you've won most all of your oh yeah yeah, yeah 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 and then i'm i'm not just really a rocky marciano stand-up boxer type guy when i was growing up i was more of a uh uh jerry lawler <laughs> Get you down by the neck and put you on the ground, and then hurt you down there. Okay. You know, because yeah. I'm not going to give this guy. You know, when you get in a fight, it's no need getting in a fight to have a duel like you on a barge on the Mississippi River, or like on a sandbar on the Mississippi River, and take ten paces each way and turn and fire. You know, it's not that much. It's not that much of a gentleman. You know, my daddy taught me long ago. He was a uh, boxing champion of his whole battalion in World War II in Germany. And uh, they did it for money, and he brought a lot of money back and bought a bought a herd of cattle. They always wandered around the farm how he got back from Germany and bought a herd of cattle. But he did it fighting, and he made sure that... <laughs> Not I the could, Germans, but fellow I, GIs. Yeah, in their off time. <laughs> he had his nose broken. He, he says three times, but I think someone told me seven. But he, I don't think he ever fixed it because it was kind of flat. But uh, the Indian blood in him came out, I think. Gosh. Mm-hmm. You, well, you mentioned you've got the one loss. Tell me about, did you fight as a, a real small kid? Was that the thing to do back in the 1950s? And 60s? I'll tell you what happened. Because in the 80s, when I was growing up, people didn't fight for fun, but they wrestled. Yeah. No, we'd fight to tear your shirt off of you. And uh, that's what, what dark. What does that mean? I mean, you just fought to win, period. Okay. You know, holler calf rope wasn't that good enough you know that would be if you beat somebody up and you'd say you and you were like in the third grade and you'd be in a fight with somebody and get them by the neck or get them down and hit them a time or two and if it's a i give up or i quit and you say you say calf rope and if, he says, say, <laughs> That's if you right say there. calf rope calf rope <laughs> yeah like you're roping a calf you know that's farm stuff if you bring that calf down and tie them legs up you've got him but anyway... Um, Did you ever yell calf rope? Um, no, I never yelled calf rope. I just may have yelled help. <laughs> but anyway, uh, when I first moved from a town, that uh, the kids didn't do that, like in the first, second, third grade. Thank when, God. When I was going That's to a, a one-room thing. schoolhouse. Yeah. And then uh, we moved to another town. Yeah. 
and uh, my daddy had bought a service station and a uh, cafe and a uh, uh, bait shop and sold boats and stuff. And we moved to that town, and we didn't live too far from where the station and the cafe was located. And he told me, and I was in the uh, in the uh, uh, going to be in the fourth grade. He told me to uh, be down there to help him work at uh, 10 o'clock in the morning. In fourth grade. Yeah, and my mother was a secretary. She would already gone to work. And I was the only child living by myself. I started down there, and this guy jumps out on me, and he says, now, we're fourth graders, you know, and well, to be fourth graders between third and fourth. How old was this guy? Well, he was my age. Okay, another fourth yeah, grader. Yeah, but he was a fighter, see. They, they'd already been fighting in this town. They must have started in the first grade. He jumps out, and he says, uh, who are you? Where are you going? And I said, I'm going over here to my daddy's place. And he said, if you cross this way, you got to pay me. Well, he's a troll on a bridge or something, you know? And I said, you know, I didn't know what he was talking about because we hadn't been fighting in this other one-room schoolhouse I went to. Yeah. So we get down there, and, and I said, well, no, i got to go on over here. I started by him, and he jerked me down and tore my shirt up and tore it off and slapped me around. And I went back home. I turned around and walked home. Didn't what, go. A, what a wimp. I know. I was a sissy. And I uh, went back home. Daddy gets home, and he said, uh, let me ask you something. How come you weren't down there when I told you to be down there? And I said, that boy jumped me on the just before I got to your place. And he said, uh, jumped you? What do you mean? I said, he jumped me, tore my shirt, and beat me up. And he said, uh, we're not going to have none of that. If you have to pick a stick up or whatever you have to pick up, you don't take that, son. And I said, all right, so... He said, you'll be down there the, tomorrow at the uh, same time. Did your dad have a clue who this boy was? Uh, I doubt it because we hadn't been living there that long I mean, then. He didn't think you were lying to him. No, did. oh, no. He Because I showed him the shirt. <laughs> and uh, I think I got a whipping for that, too. But uh, anyway, um, the next day, it was an alley you could go down and not go down Main Street. So I went down the alley, and this boy jumps out on me. Again, and, same yeah, boy. A different, no, a different one. He's two years older, and he'd been kind of terrorizing the neighborhood from kids our age and beating them up. And he jumps up in my face, and he said, and I've heard this on old movies, but I've never heard it lately. He said, who are you? And I told him the same story, and he said, hey, let me tell you, if you had my Sunday punch and a Sunday punch, what is a Sunday punch? I think I heard it on a Little Rascals later. Somebody got a a Sunday punch got hit in the face and he was going to fight me so my daddy had pulled that number on me you know that he was going to whip me if that happened again so I whipped this boy you just I, launched I, into I him I just launched into him like a uh, like a like I was picking cotton or something man I jumped at him so uh, he gave up and, and left well I know a boy that lived next door his granddaddy told him later he said hey we got a kid that's moved in the neighborhood here now we don't have to worry about this Sunday Punch kid because this guy beat him up. I saw it do it. It's the greatest thing I've ever seen. Really? He's been beating you kids up all this time, and this new boy beat him up. And so uh, I guess that kind of kicked off Congratulations. All Fourth stuff. grade fights. Yeah. Love it. And so, uh, of course, then it just, you know, it kind of developed and developed. And Did you ever see the original kid that beat you up? Oh, we're friends. He's on my, I think he's on Facebook with me. Today you're He friends. lives in Kentucky, yeah. But, and, but uh, he beat you up. Uh, Did you you not return the favor? Oh, that now that one had beat me up. No, we become really good friends. 
And we was in that disturbance at Ole Miss together. Oh, in 1962. 1962. How about so, that? So uh, driving his car, as a matter of fact, I was oh, riding with him. Ain't that great? Yeah. So From no, bloodshed again, to blood brothers. Well, back in the high school in the younger days, if you got in a fight with somebody, you know, you would uh, uh, might end up being best friends at the end of the situation. But things would happen. I had one other a friend of mine who was a real good fighter, and... Uh, you know, we were at Sardis Lake one time at the beach, and these three or four Marines from Millington Base in Memphis, they came down, and they was laying on the beach, and the beach would just be full of girls, and old Miss girls, you know. And they kicked some sand on one of them, this old redneck, long-arm fighter, and he jumped out. <laughs> he jumped out to fight, and uh, he, whipped, he whipped all three of those Marines, put knots on their head. And then this friend of mine, then, he, then the old uh, redneck boy, he drew a line in the sand, and he said, I'll whip anybody else on this beach. Now, we're probably maybe in the 10th grade or 11th by then, you know. And, and this friend of mine said, let's get him. And I said, did you see what he just did? He just whipped three Marines. They got knots all over their head. Best thing for us to do is stay back out of the way. Now, if Tommy pull back over here and get out of this mess, we don't need to get in it. And so luckily we did because he whipped two more before we got out of there. And somebody told me that guy who lived in a town not far from Sardis Lake that he just whipped everybody. You know, he was probably about, uh, he might have been 21, 22, 23 years old, and we were, we were like 16 or 17. And then in an Ole Miss basketball game one time. Basketball. Basketball. People would know this name. Clyde Lee. He was an All-American for Vanderbilt. And Ole Miss was playing them in Oxford. And we were in the upper balcony. And... Uh, Happened to be the same guy that I feel like I saved from getting beat up over at the beach a year before. So uh, we had this hit. We weren't very good in basketball, and Vanderbilt was really good. And Clyde Lee was an All-American. And big old tall boy, about 6'8", probably arms that would reach all the way across the gym. And uh, we ran. They got no. Our boy attacked him, hit him with a basketball. Out on the game? At the game. Well, look, what, what do you mean by our boy? Who are you talking about? Ole Miss's boy. Like a player yeah, on the Yeah, he team. put a player in who was just strictly a hit man, I thought. He wasn't He wasn't a very good basketball player. He didn't start. But he come in and he started that fight with, I guess he was trying to get Clyde Lee thrown out of the ball game. So the fight broke out on the whole floor of the gymnasium in the old gym before we met that thing they call Tad Pad mm-hmm. up there. And... uh we ran down the stairs, got down there, and they was knocking people all over the place. Our freshman football team, they were all in there sitting in one area, and they was all fighting everybody, and everybody was fighting. And we got out on that floor, and one of them hit me from across the uh, whole basketball court. He had long, he had arms about eight foot long. A Vanderbilt basketball player? Yeah. They was all fighting. And we were down right in the middle of them, and I guess I was the littlest guy to look that he could hit, so he hit me. And then I told Where'd he hit you? Him, hit me upside the head somewhere. And I told a friend of mine, I said, you know what we need to do? We need to get back upstairs. You see the arms on these guys? You can't reach them. I said, i got to throw my man down. And I can't get in there. I can't get that far inside that body with them long arms. So we got we got out of that. But after the game was over with, <clears throat> they threw the old Miss guy out of the game, but they didn't throw Clyde Lee out. <laughs> and after the game was Let me over, guess Vanderbilt won. Vanderbilt. Oh, Vanderbilt won, yeah. They always would have anyway. And, uh, Anchor down. Huh? Yeah, Snyder. Uh, I believe it was Snyder. Their coach was uh, Skinner, Roy Skinner, a Vanderbilt coach. 
and uh, he come out and tried to separate it, and he did a pretty good job of separating. But after the game, the old Miss chief of police was out front, and back then they had to steam all of you had steam heat, and all that steam was coming out, and we went out front waiting on Clyde Lee to come get on the Vanderbilt bus, but they had slipped him out the back of the gym, down the stairs to keep any trouble from him. And we stayed out there with Tatum, who was the old Miss chief of police. And we was all waiting on him, you know. We was going to jump on him again. And uh, But he, thank goodness he didn't come out there because he had to whip me to pieces. <laughs> but, uh, no, I've had a, I've had a few of those. Yeah. Well, let's talk, I know you've had a lot of fisticuffs involving sports. Yeah. But I want to go back to the time you got your butt beat. Was that sports that was, related? No, it was in a bar. That was in a bar? That was in a bar. And, uh, Congratulations. Yeah, I had a... Uh, Let's say he wasn't my best buddy, but I was 18, and uh, I was in Louisiana, in Thibodeau, Louisiana, and had a one of the guys that worked on the pipeline had been sentenced to 198 years in the in the state pen of, par, of parchment. And the way you get sentenced to 198 of Mississippi. Oh, okay. But he was out on parole again. Okay. And he got out on parole when he was sentenced to an. Uh, to a hundred-year sentence, okay. I mean, to a ninety-nine-year well, sentence. What did he do? Something to do with. Uh, I think he got into it with his wife and maybe physically, or something. So he got ninety-nine years. But he was so good over there, and he was a heck of a fighter, boy. He looked like Jerry Lee Lewis with that long hair. He'd sling it back over his head, and so we'd go to a bar constantly. When we got off the pipeline at night down there, and I was eighteen, we'd go straight to a bar, and I'd go with him. But I'd sit there and drink coke. And they'd be a, he'd be at the other end gambling or doing something like that. So anyway, he 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 rode a horse off of uh, at, at that time the state penitentiary was a working farm. It paid for itself. Mm-hmm. You could pick cotton and do all this. But they had trustees that rode horses. He rode a horse, but he escaped on the horse. <laughs> so they sent him they sentenced him to another ninety nine year sentence. So that's how he gets this hundred ninety eight years, it you say. Dang, Moss, how many years you got? And he said, 198. I said, so anyway. Well, what's he of, doing out of prison, well, period? They just set him out on parole because he really never had done anything severe. They just sentenced him to a lot of years. And uh, so we're down in Louisiana, which he had broke parole. Anyone supposed to leave the state of Mississippi. Yeah, I was about to say. And so uh, we're down there, and it, it, I could be sitting at the far end, and it's would say, uh, hey, come out here. Come on, come down here and hit me, short. Come on down here. And he'd be in a fight. He'd be in a fight with seven or eight people down there. And that old hair would be slinged up in the top, you know. And mm-hmm. and I went down that way, and this guy stepped out of that crowd that he was with, uh, tied up with. And he hit me right in the face and the nose, and blood come down both. You both. didn't instigate no, him? No, I come back. But it didn't take him but about four or five really good licks to lay me across the counter in that bar. And they don't care down there in those bars back in 1964. They could just let them do what you want to do. In Louisiana. Know? In Louisiana then. We didn't have a bar. We didn't even have beer. You know, we didn't have anything up here yeah. in North Mississippi then. But, uh, yeah, he beat me up pretty good. And, uh, you know, I had a knot over one eye, and I had a cheek that was kind of split open, and then my nose was smashed and all. So, uh, yeah, it, it happens both ways. You know, if you can't, if I couldn't get to a person... To get them around the neck and put them on the ground. Well, see, that's not really fighting. I don't. It think. is if you want to win, and okay. I wanted to win. Okay. I didn't want no more of that stuff like I just told you about. The best way to not get that kind of stuff is to put the guy down and then do your damage to him, and he's the one 
it looks like you do when you get up and walk off smiling. I mean, there's the. I guess what you're saying is, when it comes to having a fist fight, there's no gentleman. It's no. It's like no I said honor. earlier. It's not like you're on a sandbar, in a dang before the Civil War, doing uh, pistol duels. You know, okay. you don't do that. If you're going to fight somebody, fight to win the doggone thing. My daddy taught me that, and sure. uh, and you know, he said, don't get involved in one of these situations if you're not going to take care of it. Best thing to do is don't get involved if you can't whoop them. So you always got to think you could whip somebody. Even if you couldn't, you had to think it. And a lot of times a bluff goes further than an actual fight. But I know I was in a bar in Louisiana one time in New Orleans. We're talking with the Takapola storyteller real quick here on the Y'all Show. Go yeah, ahead. Yeah, and I had this thing when I was in no, the bar. I don't want to make you mad. You might punch me. No, I'm not, I'm through punching. But hey, except for these teeth that got knocked out in Philadelphia. Yeah, well, that was just recently. I know it. That was the last fight what I was ever in. But uh, anyway. anyway I was in a bar in Bourbon Street, and, uh, well, the, everybody was drinking, and I was sitting up there, but in the Special Forces, we had this thing where we would slap each other in the face as hard as we could. Why? Well, it was just part of training to take a little pain and stuff, you okay. know. Like, if you could, I don't know if it's Mike or show it, but, I mean, it still don't really hurt me. God, what hurt an idiot. That. He just literally knocked himself upside down. I didn't feel that because I was trained not what to feel What if I did that. it to you? No, I wouldn't feel it. You go ahead and hit me. Hard as you want to. That was pretty. That was pretty hard. You knocked the mic off, and, I, and my ear, my ears still ringing, man. I don't think I've ever slapped a man before. Well, you you just did me pretty good. I only give you credit for that one. You like that? That was a, not a. That make again. you feel good? No, not again. I'd have to wrestle you. Now, if I'd hit you on the nose, would your nose start bleeding? Oh, that hard it would. Okay. Because you really hit me hard. I'm sorry. Well, you I, told me to. I, I wanted it. Yeah, I asked for it. I got what I asked. Go like, yeah, it feels good. I, I, Love I, it. Yeah. <laughs> But I know exactly. I'm sorry. No, no, for sorry. But but, <laughs> but but anyway, I got to slapping myself like you just did me, and uh, I got to slapping myself at the bar because those people had gotten smart Ellie can in there, and I said, uh, "Okay, yeah, come on, I'll take care of any of y'all, anybody in your one on one, anybody in your one on one." And I got four or five well wishers that wanted one on one. Luckily, I put them all down. Did you? Yeah, but uh, the rest of them didn't come. Because I slapped myself so many times. They said, uh, this fool's slapping himself. We're not going to jump him, you know, period. So, you know, that's where I think that, uh, you know, bluff goes a heck of a long way sometimes. Hey, that's the reason I started doing it to start with, you know. Yeah. And uh, when it's a real big bunch, like I've had uh, jumping you in said, stadium. You said 10 versus 1. Well, that was the Memphis police on me. Yeah, and I know you've done a lot of I've sports stuff. That, we, we, yeah. We've talked about that yeah. before. We'll talk about it again in case yeah. you don't, but not well, today. Well, no, no, it's, that's fine. But, uh, and I wouldn't recommend anybody fighting. This was back in the 60s when it was a kind of a thing that you did. You know, I mean, we all had boxing gloves. I had boxing gloves at home. Oh, yeah. My daddy would box me and teach me how to box. And then I, my best friend, the one I... Uh, wanted to fight when they drew the uh, line in the sand. Mm-hmm. He always had a set of boxing gloves. Football, we had if you got in a, if you got to uh, a little rough with each other in football practice, we had a coach that's still alive. It lives in this town. He coached at Mississippi State once upon a time, and uh, was a head coach. He would put boxing gloves on you after practice. The two of you that got into it in practice, and you'd go up to the uh, training room in the in the dressing room. And you would fight it out, and he'd watch you and make you do it. Golly. So, I mean, it was just a way of life. People boxed then. That friend of mine's daddy, like my daddy, 
had won that uh, uh, regimental uh, division uh, boxing championship in Germany. This friend of mine's daddy during the Depression, uh, during the hard time, I think during the Depression because his daddy was older, he would go to Chicago and fight in those rings in Chicago to make money to live on back down here. He'd catch a train and go to Chicago and fight. So people fought a heck of a lot. Then. Well, people still fight, and as we wrap up with our Takapola Storyteller, one reason I wanted to talk about this, Jerry, I'm so tired of hearing and reading and seeing stories of senseless gun shooting and gun fights and people losing their life. Now, as a youngster, you're going to have testosterone building up. And in your days, y'all got rid of some of that testosterone by having these stupid Fights, yeah. fights and stuff like that. But not with guns. Not with guns. And look, listen, like I brought it up earlier. Sometimes after a fight with your best friend, you thought, you'd be best friends after the fight. Mm-hmm. You know, you'd go back up. And you, you wouldn't even have to make up. It would just be kind of understood. It was almost like he, he was willing to fight me. Yeah. He's, he's yeah. got guts. Yeah, that's right. It was but just... these stupid people today... They get rid of that testosterone not by getting in a fight. Right. Not that we're pushing for uh-huh. people to get in fights, but I'd rather have somebody have a fist fight than a gun fight. That's right. Well, if you think about it, you know, my daddy had a place in Como, Mississippi that he had a really good television, and the Friday night fights brought in everybody. He'd put it, he'd put it TV on, and you'd be Rocky Marciana or whoever would be fighting, or Joe Lewis or blah, 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 you know. So, I mean, it was great stuff fighting you know that was on tv i'm talking about in real but life that, but you saw that just like you do things. tv influences you mm-hmm. and it influenced you back then and then you know so if you saw that guy standing up there fighting and you think do you see how rocky marciano hit him you know he come back with that left and that haymaker and blah 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 and that watermaker and that blah 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 i didn't see that actually. but if you'd had a saw it <laughs> you would have wanted to duplicate it okay well you know? now these people are duplicating their rap stars that's right that's right that's where i was going they're seeing all this stuff and especially even on the news the news has got to quit showing all this stuff because they never finish it they'll just show where somebody got beat up on a subway or they'll just show where something like that happened and it doesn't have a it doesn't have a conclusion you know, they were just catch and release, like I did a few times when I was security on the border. Catch and release. Well, you don't catch and release. You catch and keep. Yeah. And you take them to trial. Mm. And you do that kind of thing. Because fighting is not part of our way anymore. You know, uh, fight for defend yourself. And, you know, like I did in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. Fight to defend yourself, but that's the only way that I would ever recommend fighting. Fighting was fun growing up especially if you had boxing gloves like yeah, your old football yeah. coach made y'all but have you ever been hit with a boxing glove i have not well i'll tell you one thing one of them big boxing gloves when that thing hits you in the face it covers from ear to ear nose chin to the top of your head and you can feel your brain go to the back of your head right yes sir it's a tough lick almost as tough as what i just did to you oh i don't know if anything could ever be that tough i'm I'm I never, to... I've actually never slapped a man in my life. Was it fun? Time. Not really. <laughs> Especially when I'm seeing your face over here swell up on me. <laughs> we need to go get a doctor in here. What would one of Rocky Balboa, what would his trainer be? Well, Rocky Balboa, he was kind of an individual trainer. I think he was just had strength, you know. And uh, that was all self-taught. Okay. Jerry Short, he is our Takapola storyteller. Willing to take a punch for us here on the Y'all Show. Always oh, fun to catch up with you. Boy, yeah. This has been one memorable interview. For yeah, sure. this ought to go make the news. For it sure. ought to.
enjoyed it, John. Except yes. for that, except for that haymaker. I'm just following on. your orders. You it, told me to hit you, and I did. My hey, wife. Mm, uh, go, go ahead. ahead. Yeah, no, I, I'm going to go ahead because I'm, I'm going to get out of here before you come back and no, retaliate. I'm done. I'm on the floor. All right. Can More of the y'all show Tuesday edition is coming right up. I got to get out of here. I'm scared. y'all at davis wade stadium in starkville football time is right around the corner y'all Marine Band fighting for dear old state hell state damn right I think that's the line they use there in Starkville USA we're back here on the y'all show we are getting you ready for the start of the 2023 college football season and today it's all about the bullies of Mississippi State last year MSU led by the great Mike Leach and sadly we lost Mike Leach in late December of a heart attack and a tragedy there with one of the awesome interviews you could ever have in college sports talking to Mike Leach and he beat his rival in Vault Hemingway Stadium in his last game as a head coach and then MSU went on to the bowl game and an interim coach Zach Arnett ends up becoming the head coach and he's entering his first season as a head coach of the Bulldogs. We'll tell you more about Arnett. We'll let you hear from the new coach on patrol there in Octavia County, Mississippi. But let's go through the schedule that MSU is going to have in 2023. They begin with the Lions of Southeastern Louisiana. Sela comes to Starkville for a game mid-afternoon on September 2nd. MSU then has the Arizona Wildcats, the Big 12-bound Cats, come in bear down cats they're going to be in starkville for a prime time game on september 9th then it's into sec play could the bulldogs pull the upset against lsu lsu comes to starkville for a midday game 12 eastern 11 o'clock davis wade time lsu september 16th then it's on the road in columbia taking on the gamecocks on september 23rd then the alabama crimson tide come over for a game on September 30th. Western Michigan, the Broncos are the opponent October 7th. They'll be in the Ozarks taking on the Hogs on October 21st. October 28th, wrapping up the month of October Halloween weekend. It's going to be scary on the plains. Hugh Freeze is going to welcome in those Bulldogs from his native state. And it's Auburn and Mississippi State October 28th. The Dogs and their 
cross-divisional rivals Kentucky get together on November 4th. Then it's the Aggies of Texas A&M welcoming in that other maroon team into Aggieland November 11th. How about this? The Southern Miss Golden Eagles will be a non-conference opponent on Mississippi State's 2023 schedule. And Southern Miss to the top comes into Davis Wade November 18th. And then the final regular season game, the University of Mississippi and the Egg Bowl. And it goes down on Thanksgiving night, November 23rd at Davis Wade Stadium. And that is the schedule for Zach Arnett. So if you don't mind, I I could pull up what some pundit has to say about the 2023 schedule for Mississippi State. But if you don't mind, I'm going to give you my expert opinion of Mississippi State. I know a thing or two. I've had a business in Starkville, Mississippi. I did a show all about Mississippi State for a long time. So in my best bully bark line presentation here today, I don't need Gene Swindoll of Gene's page. I'll do it myself, y'all. I think they're going to get the victory over southeastern Louisiana. I think they're going to get the victory over Arizona. LSU? Mm, I don't think so. I think they're going to lose at South Carolina on the 23rd of September. I think they're going to lose against Alabama. They're going to get the victory against Western Michigan. I predict a victory at Arkansas on October 21st. I think they're going to beat Auburn. I think they're getting a mojo midway through the season. So that's five victories already. They're going to beat Kentucky. I think they'll beat Texas A&M. They'll beat Southern Miss. They'll beat Mississippi. I think this could be a nine-win season for the Bulldogs. And y'all can laugh at me if they end up losing nine games this year. (laughs) Zach Arnett is the new coach in Starkville. He played collegiately for the Lobos of the University of New Mexico. And again, he took over this position after being Mississippi State's defensive coordinator the last couple of years. And then with the sudden death of Mike Leach, he ends up becoming the head coach of Mississippi State University and a tough assignment. But guess what? He's already got off to a good start. With the bowl game, they were able to, in the ReliaQuest contest against Illinois, Mississippi State won that game in Tampa 19-10 in early January. And that's a game that, yes, there was a lot of pride in play for Mississippi State. A a team that ended up finishing last year 8-4 in the regular season. I guess they finished 9-4 overall. So they won nine games last year. Yeah, and they finished in the top 25 in 2023. Number 24 was their final AP position for the Bulldogs of Mississippi State University. And Coach Arnett, with that victory as the coach that became the head coach, this father of two, married, was a coach at San Diego State prior to coming to Mississippi State. He'd been on the Aztecs coaching staff for darn near a decade before Mike Leach brought him over to be the defensive coordinator in Starkville. And he's done a good job. He's kept this program going despite the absolute grief brought on by the loss of the Pirate. And I think he's going to be, based on his experience as a defensive coordinator at now two different schools, 
I think he's going to be a very welcome addition. And he's so young. I mean, he's 36 years old. And you put that up against the moxie coming out of Oxford right now with that guy who's got moxie, but in a smart aleck way, if Zach Garnett can be successful and just be a normal guy and not a prima donna, then I think Mississippi State is going to be just fine within the borders of the Magnolia State and then going outside of the borders to surrounding states. Mississippi State really relies heavy on recruiting in the state of Alabama. I think they'll be fine there. And I really think Mississippi State, with Zach Garnett now leading the program, I think I think state fans are going to be quite happy, especially if this guy pulls off, as I predicted, nine wins again here in 2023. Let's go in and hear from the 36-year-old head coach of Mississippi State. He was speaking earlier in the week with the pundits that cover Mississippi State and hear his thoughts about his 2023 team as Mississippi State's preparing for that opener against the Lions of Southeastern Louisiana. Here is Coach Zach Arnett. Biggest thing holding us back right now is uh, we, we yet to have found a high level of consistency with all 11 guys right executing their assignment the way it's, the way it's intended and so you know, the unfortunate thing about football is you can have a you can have a touchdown dialed up for should be a ball over the top of the defense for a touchdown. If a guy busts the protection, right, it's a sack, and and vice versa. You can have ten guys playing pretty good defense and one guy not doing his assignment, and it splits you for a, a long play. So we've got to find a higher level of consistency. All eleven executing their job. We talked a lot about the battle at safety and in that cornerback spot. Anyone that stood out in the scrimmage in terms of that competition? Uh, I mean, no one I highlight. I mean, Marcus Banks is still continuing to play high level. You know, he's a senior. We need him to kind of take charge and be the leader of that group and uh, make sure everyone's up to the standard. But uh, we're getting a rotation of guys in there. You know, some guys, as you get to this point in camp, they're banged up or you got some soft tissue stuff, so it limits some reps. But uh, no real standouts that, you know, I would mention played better than anyone else. How do you think you can find that consistency? Is it a matter of do you find in the mess 11 players or is it more of a matter of, you know, just getting in more reps? Well, I mean, I think it's both, right? Yeah. <laughs> you're not going to find a high-level consistency if you're not playing your best players, and then obviously you got to get enough reps. I mean, every day you're installing stuff, right? So sometimes you might call something in a, in a scrimmage and you've only practiced it for a day or two, right, as opposed to something from day one. You've got 10, 11 days of practice under your belt. And so uh, with more reps, we'll get we'll get better. But obviously, you know, like I said, September 2nd is fast approaching, and so we gotta we got to get there soon. All right, and September 2nd, those Bulldogs of Mississippi State have Sela coming up from Hammond, Louisiana. And then that team from Baton Rouge is going to be coming to Starkville just a few weeks after that. Mississippi State football 2023 with Zach Arnett leading the way. Glad to spotlight this up-and-coming coach on today's Y'all Show. Well, that will wrap up this edition of the Y'all Show. Some of the traditions at Mississippi State, we played those cowbells to start this segment. Yeah, that's their probably top tradition. Other traditions, the Hell State cheer, the cowbell yell is a MSU tradition. The Junction is kind of like their version of the Grove. That famous maroon band that we heard the fight song played earlier is a Mississippi State tradition. And then the Egg Bowl with Ole Miss is a tradition that MSU enjoys. Then they've got the song Don't Stop Believing" that's played there at Davis Wade Stadium, and we don't want to leave out places in Starville like 
Little Dewey. <laughs> I love it. All right, that's Mississippi State, our Spotlight School today. We will be back with you on Wednesday with a whole new school to tell you about. And Wednesday school will be the Tulane Green Wave. So join us for that fun. And until we see you on the Wednesday Y'all Show, you have a great rest of your Tuesday. And thanks for listening to the show that's ringing them cowbells and more. We are the Y'all Show. Y'all Show.